Are you frustrated with your government contracting journey? Do you feel like there's just something missing in your business, but you just can't put your finger on it? Are you finding enough opportunities? Are you struggling to win the few opportunities you do find? Do you have a plan of attack or a strategy for this market? Would you like somebody to review your current approach? Maybe it's time to consider getting a coach. Our team of coaches have helped our clients win over $13.6 billion in government contracts. We've figured out how to help companies just like you accelerate in this market. Market. If you want to find out if coaching is for you, go to federal-access.com forward slash govcon coaching today and fill out a coaching application. I will personally respond to your application and schedule a time for us to talk about your business. There's no cost for the session. There's no obligation. There's no hard sell or anything like that. What I will guarantee you is I will review your top challenges and give you detailed advice. And if coaching makes sense for you, I'll walk through your options. Visit federal-access.com forward slash govcon coaching today to get started. Now let's get into this episode. Welcome to Game Changers for Government Contractors. Game Changers is dedicated to helping you position for and win more government contracts. And now your hosts, Josh and Mike. Hi everybody, Michael Lejeune here as your host on Game Changers. And I'm going to get right in today's episode by welcoming our guest, Bill Thoet. Bill is the Vice President of Business Development for GovBizConnect. Bill, why don't you take a minute to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do over at GovBizConnect. Sure, thank you. Uh, so I spent 30 years in government contracting uh, and consulting, uh, uh, five years uh, at Naval Research Lab, and then uh, over 26 years at Booz Allen Hamilton, uh, major government consulting business. And um, about two years ago, I retired to focus on philanthropy. I happened to uh, have the good luck to be the chairman of the ALS Association when the Ice Bucket Challenge hit. Oh, wow. And I realized that that was a pretty, what I was doing there was pretty valuable and uh, more important to me than, than the other things I was doing. So I retired to focus on philanthropy and then helping startups because I did a little bit of that with Booz Allen. And I really enjoyed it. And that's kind of how I ran into uh, GovBizConnect. Um, one of the things that many contractors realize is that uh, there's a little game that has to be played every time a, a proposal comes out. And that is, uh, if you're a large business, you got to figure out who the small businesses and small disadvantaged businesses that you're going to team with because the government requires uh, that uh, they require a certain set aside for each each one of those businesses. And if you're a small business, then you have to often find larger businesses to work with so that you can accomplish the job. So GovBizConnect's founder, Tom Skypeck, who used to work for me at Booz Allen, uh, approached me several years ago, uh, a, couple, a couple years ago, and just asked me uh, about the process by which Booz Allen and other companies actually go out and figure out who they're going to partner with. And the fact is the approach is, uh, pretty non-technical. Uh, it's whoever's sitting around the table. That's who you go with. Uh, whoever they know, whatever subcontractors they've worked with before, small business, et cetera, that's sort of the sum of knowledge. And, he had an approach to kind of broaden that. And so I thought that, that would be a good thing to get involved with and uh, be a, an advisor. And he's kind of pulled me in a little bit more and more to uh, to kind of make this company really take off. Wow. Well, that, I think what you guys are doing is really awesome, you know, connecting 
different companies in this teaming environment because, you know, as you said, most of the time it's just based on the people you know around the table or, you know, hey, did we run into somebody somewhere? And it, I, I think it's really valuable for people to find new teaming partners and not just do the same old things because, you know, there's that saying, you know, you just keep doing the same thing you've always done. You'll get the same thing you've always gotten. Right. But what if you want to grow? What if you want to, you know, go after new contracts and new market segments and, you know, new target clients and that sort of thing. You, you need new partners a lot of times, not all the time, but sometimes. And so I love the idea of what you guys are doing over there at GovBizConnect, trying to connect people and companies so that they can go after those, you know, strategic contracts and things. So that that's really, really awesome. Um, you know, when, uh, when I always reach out to people and and say, hey, you know, you're going to be on the podcast, send me a handful of questions. You know, one, the very first question that you sent me was one that I don't know that anyone has ever sent me before. And it was, you know, how's the government contracting environment changed over the last 10 years? And as somebody who's got, you know, over 30 years experience in this, I'm really curious what your perspectives are on, hey, you know, back 30 years ago, it was done this way. And now in the last 10 years, it's changed into this because I think there are a lot of people in this market who have been doing things the same way for 20, 30 years. And when I, when I pull reports like on FPDS and other different places, I'm finding a trend of a lot of what I call the old school companies that are having declining revenue. And so I'm I'm really curious what's changed over the last ten years and and your perspective on that, especially from the big companies that you've been with. Yeah, I think there are two two factors that have well, the first one kind of uh, is going to lead to continued long term change unless that changes, and 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 that is who's actually making the procurement decisions. Uh, certainly during the early times that I was at Booz Allen, the procurement decisions were being made by what was called the contracting officer technical representative, the, the person who actually was responsible for getting the work done, the, the group of people that you were actually going to be working for, they're the ones that decided who won the contract. And they typically did most of the contracts as what's called best value. So you might have one company coming in at 800K who barely kind of met the criteria. Some other company may come up with some great ideas, um, some great talent, and be at a million dollars. And the, the COTR, contracting officer, technical representative, would work with the contracting officer to basically justify uh, the best value, that it's worth paying the ex extra $200,000 uh, because I'm going to get a better product. And that was sort of the contracting method that most of us grew up with. What's actually happened is that the contracting officers have gotten more and more power in the decision making. And often they're the ones that are actually choosing which contractor wins by reading the proposal, by looking at the cost proposal and determining best value. Now, from a contracting officer perspective, they're not responsible for the technical work. So the way they get best rewarded is by getting a lower price. And the thing that they definitely don't want to have happen is what's called a protest. So a protest is when somebody wins, but somebody else who's bid comes back and say, you had an unfair um, process that you went through. You, you chose somebody who was best value. 
even though they were much higher priced than us, and, and then they would fight it. Uh, or you didn't grade my proposal right, or you didn't grade it according to the evaluation criteria. So one of the solutions to that was that the government basically gave the contracting officers more control, and a lot of them went to what's called low-price, technically acceptable contracting. And so what that process did, you know, typical process, everybody writes a proposal, they write a cost proposal, they're in separate volumes, people review the technical proposal without looking at the cost proposal, they score it, then they basically look at the cost proposal, they might modify it a little bit based on their view of whether it's realistic or not, and then they combine those two to actually come up with the best value. In LPTA, low price technically acceptable, there's a big change. They read the lowest cost proposal and they evaluate it. And if it's technically acceptable, that's the winner. If it's not, they read the second uh, lowest cost proposal, technical proposal, and they go until they find one that actually meets the minimum requirements to win. And that's the one that it wins. So you might write that million dollar proposal that's much better, has much better quality staff, et cetera. They're never even going to look at it because somebody bid 800 K and they met the minimum requirement. So, so that has great implications for how you bid a proposal, how you team, et cetera. And as you indicated earlier, um, one, if you keep doing the same thing, um, you're going to get the same results. But it's worse than that. If you keep doing the same thing and the government changes things, you're going to get worse results. Right. Right. No, that's exactly right. And that's where, you know, a lot of people are not keeping up with a lot of these changes. And, you know, a couple of questions based on what you just said, the, you know, the, the first question being, uh, you know, for those that are not familiar with this whole lowest price, technically acceptable form of contracting, you know, the first the first question there is, you know, is this the way they're all judged today? And if not, is there a way for a contractor to know, hey, this is not being judged this way. It's being judged based on best value, not on LPTA. Yeah. So each each contract as it's uh, the RFP is put out indicates what it is. So uh, an LPTA will be obviously called an LPTA. However, um, when you go to the other side, best value, it's a little bit ambiguous because it's really the best value in terms of the judgment of whoever is assessing it. And if it's being assessed by the contracting officer, they may still in their mind feel that best value is the lowest technically acceptable solution. Right. So, that yeah. So you can be not, in that situation anyway. Exactly. And, and that's the tricky thing. And I think large companies uh, that had incumbencies were really threatened by this because your tendency would be if you have a large, let's say, on-site incumbency and you have a bunch of staff that have been working with the client for years, you're going to bid those staff, even though, let's say, the requirement for one position is, um, you know, five years of experience after a master's degree. Well, the guy that you might have had in that position might have 10 years after a master's degree, but 
he's the guy that the client liked. He's the guy that really knows what they're doing. He's got great experience, et cetera. If you bid him in an LPTA or a best value that's really not going to give you benefit for those extra five years of experience, you're going to lose. And that's what I think a lot of people did is a lot of incumbencies were lost. And as you see some of the declining revenues of some of those companies, one, the overall defense spending went down for a few years. But two, uh, there was a threat to incumbencies that used, used to be, you know, 90, 95% of the incumbencies were won by the incumbent. Now it's, it's basically a dice roll. And, and sometimes it's even stacked against the incumbent because they're going to be tempted to bid the people, quote, that the client really wants. Yeah, you know, I, I've seen exactly what you're talking about play out. I've, I've been in this market for 20 plus years and, and seen this exact same thing play out. You know, when we first started in the market, you just you're like, oh, wow, there's an incumbent. on. Yeah, we're probably not going to win that. We're, how are we going to compete against those folks? And now, like you said, it's we've got a fair shot. You know, everybody has a fair shot at, at taking that contract, which it seems like it's leveling the playing field, but it's also taking away for the fact that a company has been working tirelessly for five, 10 years on a contract. Now that's not worth as much as it used to be in some respects, if they are approaching it like they did in the beginning. You know, they, they have to change their strategy on, on these recompetes and things like that. So we're, we're, go ahead. Yeah, that's a good point because um, a lot of times, and, and I know that uh, Booz Allen experienced this, we would win all the follow-on work reduce our revenues on those jobs by 10% because we couldn't win them without reducing hmm. our rates. Um, the, the other problem that that introduces is, you know, let's say you've got somebody that's worked on a contract for five years. When the original contract came in, they required five years of experience. When the new one comes out, they're likely to say it requires five years of experience. You can't bid that guy anymore. So what are you going to do with them? Right. There's a whole process that uh, became known as greening of the staff. So, uh, one, you have to be careful that you don't give as large a salary increases um, or else you price somebody out of the market. Uh, two, somebody with a lot of experience, you got to find specialized jobs to put them on because they've accumulated all that experience, but nobody is asking for that as the minimum technical level in, in many of the contracts. So it becomes not only an issue of winning contracts, it becomes an issue of uh, personnel management, um, hiring practices, um, letting, sometimes letting people go who become more ex too expensive for that market. Right. So yeah, I mean, it, it really does produce a, a very complicated, you know, formula for running your business in this model, right? Absolutely, because it's not just changing how you, um, what what rates you bid at. It it changes how you pick your teammates. It pick changes how you manage your staff. It changes how you advance your staff. Uh, it ch it changes, I think, in many cases, in the negative sense, uh, the value there is in creating relationships with between the technical staff and the, the government people running the job because it's not, it's not valued in that kind of contracting. Hmm. However, yeah. there's, there is a silver lining and uh, this is fairly recent. 
as you might imagine, when the government went this direction, one, a lot of contractors complain, but two, um, now a lot of government people complain because uh, do you really want to deliver to the special operations forces, the finest fighting forces in the world, to the lowest possible bidder that barely makes the criteria? Mm, yeah, uh, not at all. <laughs> and and so uh, what what they found in in doing this is is people where price is king would bid unrealistic prices, would be able to un not deliver to it, would come back to the original incumbent and basically try to get their staff from them at the new prices, which was driving down people's salary. Uh, and the government wasn't actually getting the, the work done. So the this contracting officer basically said, hey, I got good marks. I brought the cost of this contract down 15%. The contracting officer technical representative was throwing their hands up. Yeah, but I'm not getting anything for it. I'm not getting any value. And so what's happened as a result of this, and this is very recently in uh, December of last year, um, there have been a set of restrictions on LPTA. Um, they, they have to meet six criteria. It used to be that you had to go the other way around. You had to justify why you wouldn't do something LPTA. Now you have to justify, according to six criteria, why. And um, there are certain types of contracts that are restricted from using LPTA. Uh, anything that's involving technology, cyber tech, um, cybersecurity, scientific engineering, technical assistance, and um, advanced electronics, and audit auditing kinds of capabilities. So those are restricted from that. Anything that is buying personal protective uh, equipment, especially for the military, and anything that is buying uh, outside of the United States, uh, knowledge-based training or logistics for, for people out in the field. So those are so at least there's a, a positive view that says we need to move away from that. But um, as I said, moving away from that doesn't mean we're not going back to the um, best value wink wink uh, where you're still being run by the contracting officer who is going to get rewarded for lowering the costs. Yeah, I, I think those are if I had to pull out all the great points from that part of this discussion, there, there's so many of them. But the, the thing that really stood out was when you were talking about all of the implications you know, based on this around, you know, like how you have to watch the raises and all the little different things that form that that formula that you're talking about here. I think that's something if you're listening to this podcast, you need to understand that, especially if this is your first time going a bit of contract and you don't know about this formula. It's going to bite you when you go to recompete it. So, like, you need to understand those things going into even your first year contract so that, you know, you're watching your raises, you're watching, you know, the, the experience level on different people and you may have to move people out of different positions and things like that. I, I could see how, Bill, when you were talking about like the special operations commands and things like that, if they've been working with a couple of staff for three or four years who know inside and out how the organization runs and critical operations, they don't want to swap those people out either. You know, they, they want to keep right. their people, and that's not good for their operations to have to swap it out. Something else you mentioned there with that declining revenue is, you know, let's, let's say, you know, they're dead set on, we're going to give you this contract, but you got to keep Bill on board. Bill has to be on board because he's, 
you know, he's critical. So now we keep Bill on board, but now instead of growing, we're actually losing revenue every year. You know, you're saying, you know, the, the, the revenue is going down. So that's no way to run a business, <laughs> you know, declining well, revenue by keeping a client because you, you've priced yourself to a point where the talent is so expensive that in order to, to win the contract, you have to lose money or take a much smaller margin. So, or, or, or what, what often happens is you go and ask Bill to take a pay cut. Yep. Uh, so you, you push it down to the staff and then you get declining, um, to declining salaries and people exit the field, which, which has happened a little bit. The other thing, as I mentioned, which is important, when you look at this market, the market is $440 billion a year of government contracting of which over $100 billion a year goes to small businesses. And a lot of that goes to small businesses because the government requires it to, not because a large contractor has decided out of the goodness of their heart to go to a small business or that the small business has some exceptional quality capability that the large business needs them, but because the government requires them because they try to develop small businesses and small disadvantaged businesses. And typically, as I said before, the, the way that that's done is whoever you worked with before. Well, if the environment's changed, they have the same problem that you do. They were working for you on this contract for five years. All their staff have been working for this for five years. They don't have a lot of staff. And so when you say, hey, I want to bid, bid you guys, but I need you to put in uh, somebody with five years experience, not 10 and lower the rate by 15, 20%. And the small businesses can't do that very effectively. Right. Um, and the large businesses are often, they should be driven um, to go out and give the small business uh, contracts and small disadvantaged business contracts to low cost, technically acceptable players. You know, if they're going to be judged that way, then they need to be judging their small businesses that way. And that just doesn't happen. And it doesn't happen for a couple of reasons. One is because there's no real clear way to find those businesses. Hmm. You know, how do you find the businesses you haven't worked with? How do you find the small startups with low wrap rates? How do you know what their wrap rates are? Uh, how do you know what kind of experience they have? Are they going to meet the technically acceptable criteria? Um, sometimes you need um, subcontractors with very specialized skills. And it doesn't really matter the price point. You need to get those skills. And you might have a specialized firm that does it. How do you find that? And, and again, that's where I came to uh, the realization when Tom Skypeck talked to me about GovBizConnect. Um, it's a solution for that. It, what if you created a, uh, a system where any business could log on, Look for the criteria of who they need the team with. Um, you know, I need somebody who has uh, IT skills that they're in the lower 25th price point percentile price point um, uh, across their competitors, uh, that they have um, experience with this particular client and in this particular area. And I do a search and I find them and then I contact them and they get them on the team. I don't even have to know them. Um, so that's the solution that kind of Tom spun by me. And I realized that, you know, even 10 years ago, uh, before LPTA, it would have been important. And now it's really critical because the way you bid 
and the way you construct teams and people are slow to do this, um, is you go find the cheapest acceptable solution. You use the same criteria that the government's going to use for choosing your teammates. Uh, because if you don't, uh, you're going to be disadvantaged by somebody who does. Right. And, and I mean, that's really the smartest way to do it. You know, ju- judge your team the way the government's going to judge your team. You know, imagine that. Right. You know, that's such a smart way to do it, yet a lot of companies aren't. And, and we're, we're kind of, you know, the conversation kind of bleeds over into some of the questions that, that I have for you. And, and you're already touching on some of these points here. But what are some of the other changes or what? Or how do some of these changes in LPTA and just the current environment that's going on? How does that affect teaming strategy and recruiting strategy? Well, uh, I'll go go to recruiting strategy first, and and that is uh, what I referred to before as as greening. Um, I think there are two things that happen. One is uh, you need to bring in more and more junior staff. And then you have to figure out the hard part and the HR part is what do you do with the senior staff that are no longer affordable and coming up with strategies for that. The second piece that affects uh, hiring and affects the staff is uh, other than lowering salaries, the other option is to lower wrap rates. Uh, And wrap rate is basically the total cost it takes to put somebody in a job. So let's say they they earn $50 an hour. But they've got ten dollars uh, an hour of of uh, you know because you're giving them vacation, all the benefits, vacation and and healthcare and all that stuff. That costs you another ten dollars an hour. Plus, you have buildings out there and overhead to cover them. That's maybe twenty dollars an hour. Uh, so that fifty dollar person actually costs the company $80 an hour. And the government has a process by which they actually let you compute those wrap rates and investigate those wrap rates uh, because what you bid and what they'll pay you is the cost of that person plus that wrap rate. So in that case, the wrap rate would be you know $30 extra on the 50. So the wrap rate is 1.6. Whatever the dollarly rate is, times 1.6 is what you're allowed to charge the government. And then on top of that, you're allowed to put profit on there. And one of the things that also gets driven down by LPTA is the profit margins. Uh, Typically in uh, firm fixed price contracting, you would get profit margins in the 10 to 12%. In the uh, cost plus fixed fee, you'd get things in the uh, 7 to 10%. And in the time and materials, you would get them in maybe the five to eight percent, five to nine percent. So, what's happening now is those the wrap rates are being lowered, and what the way that affects the staff members, they get less benefits. Hmm. Um, you tend to do more work at client site where you don't have to pay for space for the individual because that raises the cost. You uh, reduce their uh, vacation time, other kinds of benefits that they have. Uh, the other thing that is is a big player in this is uh, how billable do they have to be? Because every time somebody charges an hour to training or to marketing or developing a proposal, that adds to the wrap rate. So 
there are a lot of changes uh, in terms of you know how people live their lives in the company, what kind of opportunities they get, what kind of uh, benefits they get, et cetera. On the other side, which is the you know how do you team, um, there you basically are going to, as we talked about before, look at teammates based on how the government's going to look at you and. Uh, if it's if it's best value, well, then you 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 make that judgment too, and you say, well, you know, these have a lot of experience with this client. Uh, they're a little bit more expensive than this other company, but we we think that the client will see the difference, and we have to tell them about that difference in our proposal in order for them to see it, and we have to bet on that. If not, then you pick the very cheapest company that you have confident is not going to go bankrupt when you, cause that's, that's a risk. If a company goes bankrupt and you're a prime, uh, that company doesn't have to do the work, but you're still responsible for it. And if you're a sub to them, that company doesn't have to pay you, but you still have to do the work. Mm. So that's, you know, there's a, everybody looks at Dun and Bradstreet to basically make sure that companies are viable uh, when, when they bid them. But basically if they meet those criteria that they're, they're viable as a company and they have staff that meet the minimum requirements for an LPTA bid, they're probably your company. Hmm. No, I, I think that's a really, really good point. And, you know, you would hope the government wouldn't select or, or would do enough research with you that if there was something you didn't know about a company possibly going bankrupt, they would, they would help catch that. But uh, I've seen it happen. I definitely, I've seen that happen. Fortunately, I've never been on the receiving end of the the prime going out of business and us being subcontracted and had, having to do the work. But uh, that's a scary situation to be in. So, yeah, as, I've, I've seen a situation where there was a several hundred thousand dollar write down because of that situation. Totally uncontrollable situation from wow. from prime, from the subs perspective, but still they can be victimized by it. Yep, and there's nothing they can do. So, you know, it's one of those things where you want to keep your reputation, so you're going to do the work and suck it up. You know, yep. just just the way it is because you want the next contract because you're not going out of business unless this forces you out. So so a lot of great stuff on here, and, and, and we're kind of running low on time. So I want to kind of combine two things. One, uh, I'd, I'd like you to share any tools that are out there for large and small businesses to improve Kind of their probabilities of winning contracts in this new environment. So that's that's one. And then on top of that, just share any last thoughts that you have for us. Sure. One, there are a lot of government resources out there uh, that tell you about what contractors are out there, uh, some of the things they've done before, et cetera. There's there's a small business administration site uh, called SAMS where you can pull that data, but. Um, Tom and I argue about this. Uh, we characterize the site. I characterize it as a Byzantine interface. He characterizes as a Soviet interface. But I think <laughs> there are those tools out there, and you ought to use the data if you can get it. There are also other providers of cleaned-up data, a uh, company like Bloom Bloomberg Government, for example, does that Dell Tech. Uh, so they provide those kinds of feeds so that you can see what's um, – what's going on there. Uh, what's really happening now though, is that there are a couple of companies and obviously GovBiz Connect is one. Uh, there's something called GovMates. Uh, if you want to outsource 
to them going and finding your teammates, you basically describe what you want and they go out and they do the research and bring you back some candidates. Uh, it's a pay, pay for service sort of thing. We, we believe at GovBizConnect that the idea of actually forming a social network of government contractors and being able to search out and connect those things yourself, finding the criteria that you think are important, doing searches, coming up with the companies, uh, contacting those companies, and then picking your, your best team is the most effective way to do it. And so that you get away from the, you know, do you have the right people sitting around the table? Uh, do you, um, are you trusting somebody else with your, your strategic decisions uh, and having them go find your teammates? Or are you leveraging not only the data that's out there about those other contractors, but also your corporate history with those subcontractors. You know, a company that's big like Booz Allen or Lockheed Martin, et cetera, uh, you may be bidding something at the National Geospatial Imagery uh, Agency, and somebody in a totally different part of the company that works with the Dep uh, Department of Homeland Security has dealt with a subcontractor and had a really bad experience. You will probably never know that when you bring them on and you'll be doomed to repeat the same experience uh, as opposed to having a system that will track all of that, say, oh, you know, Booz Allen has already worked with this company three different times. Here are the points of contact that we're supporting those efforts. And then you can basically look at that history. That, that, that seems really valuable to especially to the, the smaller companies or the people that don't have those established relationships. Yes. Uh, and, and what's really important is not only, you know, so for the big companies, uh, they can assemble a really great team. For the small companies, what they want to do is look good when they come up to the search, uh, on the search. They want to put in the data that's going to make them most attractive to those big businesses that are going to bid things. And they also need to solve the problem of, uh, what what are called small business set-aside contracts where they have to prime it, but they need some expertise and and uh, history that a large business has in order to competently do it. So they can search for those criteria as well. So it's kind of a win-win. And, you know, as a small business that's just starting up, if, if the situation is as I depicted it, the only way that anybody's going to bring you on is if they've already had experience to you. How did the new guys get started? And that way, you know, if the new guys get get on there, they indicate what kind of experience they have, what kind of rates they have, et cetera. They're going to pop up in that search and they're going to be discoverable even when nobody really has had experience with them. So it's a good way for, you know, small businesses that are just getting started to, you know, be noticed. Yeah, to, to get found. I mean, that's the whole the whole point of a lot of the marketing or research or connecting or networking and I mean, whatever word you want to put in it, business development, that, that's a huge portion is just getting found. And like you said, coming up to the surface when people are doing a search, trying to look through their criteria, uh, you know, I, I can't stress how important that is to, to help them get found. And, you know, the more avenues you're doing on that, the better, I think, you know, instead of just saying, well, we're only going to check the interested parties box 
on uh, on FBO or whatever. That's that's not a good way <laughs> to to get found, if you will. But uh, I know a lot of people think, well, I'm just going to go check that box on everything, and that's going to do it for us. So that's just that's yeah. just not the uh, not the answer. Uh, no matter what you think. So, so all of this has been great. I want to thank you so much for coming on today. I know there's, there's a lot of big gems in this uh, from the LPTA conversation and just how this affects your teaming and recruiting strategy. I think people are going to get a whole lot out of this and I want to thank you for being on the show today, Bill. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, I also want to take a minute to thank all of our listeners for joining us today on this episode remember you can find every episode on itunes just look for game changers for government contractors and subscribe to the feed to make sure you get every episode and last but not least please visit our sponsor for today's episode the federal access program at federal-access.com forward slash join uh, when you visit that page today you can learn how to get a free copy of the government sales manual And uh, please be sure to tune in next time for great lessons on how to win more government contracts. Thanks for listening to Game Changers for Government Contractors. For a full list of episodes and other resources, be sure and check us out on the web at www.rsmfederal.com slash game changers.